Last week, we kind of began this journey. We're talking about the spirit-controlled life. And we kind of began by admitting the fact that life can be difficult. Would everybody in the room agree that life can be difficult at times? Amen. So we agreed that life can be difficult. And uh, I will tell you, there's been some difficulties even this week that people have faced. Difficulties that I've faced. Difficulties that maybe you're facing. And so we realize that that's very real in our lives. But we also talked about last week that living this, this, this idea of a spirit-controlled life can be um, challenging. Let's just put it that way. It can be challenging. And we said that without the, we determined that without the knowledge of God, the strength of God, and the Spirit of God working in and through us, that it's actually impossible to even endeavor to live a Spirit-filled life. Because you see, uh, the, the, the carnally-minded man is not going to even receive the things of the Spirit, so it, it's very difficult to say the least. We discussed that how many times in our lives we, we kind of, set out to live a spirit-controlled life, and we kind of get out of whack. We get out of control. You remember I told you the story last week of the woman who had wrecked her car, and she had to call the insurance agency. Remember, some of you are nodding your head, and she backed her car out of the garage, across the driveway, into the yard, ran over the hedge bushes, ran over the, the mailbox, and then hit her neighbor's car, and she told the insurance agent, she said, that's when I lost control. No, you lost control, ma'am, when you started out of your garage. I think many times our life is like that. We get out of control, we get out of sync, and many times we don't even recognize that we're out of control. And before you know it, the flesh is really wreaking havoc in our lives. You know, wreaking havoc in the home, wreaking havoc in the workplace, and on and on. And those things actually spill over not only in our individual lives, but they spill over to our family lives, and by association they spill over to our church family life if we're not careful. And so look with me in, in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start, we're going to remind ourselves a little bit about what we talked about last week, and then we're going to look at this, this grotesque list that we see a little bit later on. But notice with me in verse number 16. The Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And remember, we talked about that phrase where it says, If ye be led by the Spirit. If you look that up in the Greek, it's speaking of someone who is a willing participant. You know, have you ever seen these uh, moms, um, and if you have one, I'm not condemning them, although I've never used one of them. Uh, you know, I, it's not my place to speak on how you lead your children uh, through Walmart, but have you ever seen these, uh, these things? They look like dog collars for kids. They're like, you know, it's like it's got the button that you can let the kid go out eight feet, and then when they're right at the, right at the, they're right at the, press, pre, uh, the edge of the, uh, the aisle. They want to grab the toy. You zap them back in and it's like pulls them back. Isn't that, I mean, it's kind of crazy that some of us think that the Spirit is going to lead us that way. You see, if you're led by the Spirit, it means that you're going to be an actual willing participant. You're going to walk in the Spirit. See, notice what verse number 16 says. It tells us that we're to walk in the Spirit. Remember last week I was telling you we're not to walk after the Spirit or to chase after the Spirit. 
Certainly there is a, uh, there, there is a reality that we should be desiring and, and therefore the idea of chasing after the Spirit. But the Bible says walk in the Spirit, not in from the Spirit. I think many times we try to do things in our own power, in our own strength, instead of relying on the Spirit. Guys, can I encourage you today? Jesus told his disciples... He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But if you go on in John chapter 14, you get over to verse 26. He says, I'm going to send a comforter because you guys will not make it on your own. And so when I leave, remember, when I leave, I'm going to send someone that is going to be able to lead, guide, and direct your life. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Well, you and I, when we trust Christ, when we enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It takes up residence in our lives. But we have a choice. Are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to fill up our lives? Or are we going to be like the child who is on that leash that keeps being dragged or pulled? And so we're to walk in the Spirit. Verse number 17, notice what it says. It says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And as a way of reminding ourselves, remember, I want you to know this, that the conflict between the flesh and the Spirit is continual. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop because a pastor does a three-point message on the Spirit-controlled life. It's not going to stop tomorrow because you came to, to worship service today. You, in fact, what the, the sober reality is the flesh will probably raise up its ugly head even that much more. Remember I said last week, if you actually take the time to do a study of the flesh versus the spirit, beware. Beware because the, the flesh is so strong. It will rise up and it will begin to wreak havoc in your life. And you'll be like, what in the world is taking place? The flesh does not like the things of the Spirit. That's why they are contrary one to the other. And if you guys would throw up the slide, here's what we concluded last week. We concluded four thoughts last week, whether you took the notes or not. We concluded that the flesh actually fights for dominance in our lives last week. It always will. Remember I gave you the analogy that A.T. Robertson shared, and he likened the flesh against the Spirit to a good old-fashioned uh, tug-of-war match. You see, on one side you have the flesh pulling and desiring to rip the Spirit out. And on the other side, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we should have a desire to live according to the Spirit. There should be a good tug-of-war match going on. You say, will that tug-of-war ever go away? No. It will never, ever go away until that day when we cross over, as the old preacher would say, cross over Chile, Jordan. Oh man, I'm ready for that day because that tug of war match will be gone. Last week we also determined that the flesh is difficult to control. Anybody have problems controlling the flesh? I do. Every time I pass by a Krispy Kreme place and they got that big orange light on, it says hot ones now. I'm not sure. Now don't go out here and condemn me, although this will be on a podcast. I'm not sure you can be saved and tell me you don't like hot Krispy Kremes. <laughs> Let's just be honest with one another. Let's get real today. I mean, when that orange light is on, baby, I'm headed for Krispy Kreme. If the, now, here's, here's the, here's the alternative. If I don't see an orange light, you know what my car does? My car turns its nose up at Krispy Kreme and keeps on driving. Guys, 
We all have problems with the flesh. In fact, in James chapter 1, James told us that we would have problems with the flesh. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 14 and following. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then he says these words. He says, do not err. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You see, because lusts come from the desires of our flesh. In fact, last week I shared with you in James chapter 4, and James continues his discourse, and he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts? And notice what it says, that what? What does it say? They what? Now I know that we are living in this age of political correctness, where we actually tell our opponents what we're going to do in war. We actually broadcast it on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and every other channel. Hey, we're going to drop some bombs on this person. And they're like, oh really, we're just going to go, we'll go over here and hide out because they think we're here. I mean, I got news for you, war is not pleasant. And James says... From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence from even your lusts that war in your members? That word members, you see it over in Colossians again. Okay, in Colossians 3 where it says mortify the members of your body. It's talking about the spiritual place, uh, 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 spiritual sin, the body of sin that is inside of us. He says it wars against you. It wars against you. And so we must be aware of it. The Apostle Paul knew this as well. You remember, and this is why I think Paul said so much about the flesh and the spirit. Because Paul was just like you and me. He was human. And he said over in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 and, and following, he says this. He says, I find then that a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Anybody ever been there? You set out to do good. You say, man, I want to do good. I hope I do good. I'm even thinking I'm doing good. And then that flesh rears his ugly head. And then suddenly you ain't doing good. Am I right? We all have that problem. Listen, Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He says, I love it. He says, I delight after that law. But he says this in verse 23. He says, but I see another law in my members. What does he say it does? Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He said, there's a battle going on. And so we must understand, as we talked about last week, that the flesh fights for dominance. The flesh is difficult to control. We said also that the flesh is always going to be pushing and seeking gratification. And you remember, I said last week that the problem takes place in our life when you and I, we, we lift the spiritual band, so to speak. You know, we all have our, our feelings, our desires, and even men, we sometimes get emotional. We get emotional about some things, don't we? Come August, some of you will not be able to be here. August or September, I'm not sure when the first day of the NFL season will be. But some of you will get emotional about the idol of the NFL. 
And you will tell God, I cannot, I cannot be in your house today, Lord. Please forgive me because I am emotional. I am emotional. The cowboys are playing. The redskins are playing. Oh, we get emotional, don't we? You see, the problem, though, with the flesh, guys, and I'm joking around because I actually want you to stay awake. You know, I've been some places where somebody stands up and if this is their mode and it's like they read everything and I look around and people are snoring, it's not good. I actually want you to stay awake. But the reality is this. When we lift the spiritual ban that really should be imposed and never be discussed about lifting, when we lift the spiritual ban in our lives when it comes to our emotions, our feelings, uh, the things that we think are important, our desires, we give way to the flesh. That's why we have problems in our marriages. That's why we have problems with our bosses. That's why we have problems pew to pew. You say, oh, is somebody angry with somebody else in here? I don't know, I hope not. But I know that happens. We get angry with the Joneses and the Joneses get angry with the Smiths and the Hatfields and the McCoys are still feuding and fussing and fighting years later. Still angry with one another. Instead of focusing on Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the Holy Spirit that resides in them and understanding that God has a better way, we focus on our desires. And remember, I use this in counseling all the time because it's biblical, not because I invented it. I didn't invent it, but it's biblical. You see, when we act according to our desires, it leads to actions. And those actions actually lead to consequences. So if my desire is to be right, then I act accordingly to make you think that I'm right. If my desire is to be heard, then I'm going to get loud and proud and I will shut you down. But if my desire is to please God, you know what that might mean? That might mean that I need to bend the knee and ask the Lord to forgive me we are people who are so good at condemning others. We're so good at, at blaming this person or that person or blaming my dad, blaming my mom, blaming my sister or my brother because they said this, they did this, they hurt my feelings. That's the flesh. The Spirit says, get up. The Spirit says, get up. You are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens you. There's no need. There's no need to let the flesh control us. And then, listen, number four, we said that the flesh keeps a person, and you may not have written this down last week because we kind of wrapped it up quickly, but the flesh keeps a person from doing what they would, should, and could. It really does. It keeps us from doing what we would, what we should, what we could, because you see, the Spirit says that we need to be loving one another. The Spirit says that we need to be patient. The Spirit says be kind. The Spirit says be generous. The Spirit says be truthful. And the flesh says, uh-uh. Not happening today. I have no love for that guy because he is my enemy. Well, you err not knowing the Scripture. Because the Bible says you're to love your enemy. You're to pray for him. You're to do good to him. And I, don't, I, I don't believe that. Well, then I got news for you. If you don't like Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 44 and 45, then don't tell me you like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, because guess what? They come from the same word. It's called the word of God. Man, y'all said amen. I'm getting nervous today. I'm getting nervous. You guys are awake and saying amen. The flesh keeps us from doing what they would, should, and could. And last week we finished, and I want it, guys, if you'll show it up there, we finished with this thought because the flesh is so strong. John chapter 3, verse 30. You know, John the Baptist said these words. He said, he must increase, but I decrease. If you're going to live a spirit-controlled life, we're going to have to understand the reality of that statement. The reality of living the spirit-controlled life is, yay, even though my body may be hurting and suffering and feeling terrible today, oh, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I'm talking to my wife. You say, who is he looking at? <laughs> if you're not familiar, this is my wife, my funny little honey. My wife and I are getting ready to celebrate a couple weeks, 25 years of marriage. Praise the Lord. But we've been together, I don't know how many, 30-some years. Wow. I'm old. What happened? She said she was a baby. <laughs> she was a baby. Man. God is so good to us. If we're going to walk in the Spirit, we must understand this principle that John the Baptist said. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen and amen. Listen, the flesh fights for dominance. It's difficult to control. It's always going to be pushing and seeking gratification. And it has a way of keeping you and I from doing what we know we should, what we would, what we should, and what we could. But this morning, there's an ugly reality about the flesh. Notice with me in verse number 19 to 21. In verse number 19 to 21, the Apostle Paul, he gives a comprehensive list of the things that the flesh seek. In this list, it includes sensual sins, religious or superstitious sins. It includes social sins. It includes personal sins. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a comprehensive list. Notice what he says. He says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. Now that word manifest actually means revealed. So if, you are, if we are being led by the flesh, here's what the flesh is going to reveal in our lives. Notice what he says. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice what he says there in verse 21 when he says, of, which, of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past. This is not a new message. And the scary thing about this list, 
I don't know for you, but it's pretty scary for me because you know who Paul's writing it to? Say it out. He's writing to the church. I've told you this before. He says, it's the same stuff I've told you before, church. Don't, don't engage in these things. He wasn't speaking to lost people. He wasn't writing to, to the world. He wasn't writing to a bunch of people who did not have uh, a belief system that was based in Jesus Christ. He was speaking to the church. And he says, hey, there's a problem. You need to be careful because your flesh, when you uh, uh, walk in the flesh, it's going to be manifest. It's going to reveal some things about itself. And these are the things. And he lists those 17 things. Notice, take a look at them. I mean, the church of Galatia is no different than Battlefield Baptist Church or any church today. The list still applies. Notice what he says. He says adultery. We all know what adultery is. And then I don't need to educate anybody on adultery. It's sexual unfaithfulness between or towards a husband and wife. He says, don't, don't go there. That's not walking in the spirit. That's walking according to the flesh so that you can fulfill, remember what I just said? The desire. The desire leads to action. And the action leads to consequence. He says, don't go there. Because it has a consequence. And then the next thing he says is very much like it. He says fornication. And the word fornication is a broad word that includes all forms of immoral sexual acts or activities. The Apostle Paul wrote to that corrupt church. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm thankful for the Apostle Paul. But he had to deal with a lot of stuff. The Lord, Lord said, hey, you need to go and write a letter over here to church at Corinth. They got some issues. And he writes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 18, he says, Flee fornication. He says, Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication actually sins against his own body. He says in Ephesians 5, 3, he's, he's writing again. Remember, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is doctrinal. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is giving practical application to the things that he told him in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in chapter 5, verse number 3, he says, Don't even let it be named once among you as become believers. He says this idea of fornication should never even be named once among you. And the only way that we can avoid that type of behavior is to walk in the Spirit. You see, because the flesh desires what the flesh desires. In Colossians chapter 3, I mentioned it a moment ago, but in Colossians chapter 3, the Bible actually says in verse 5 that we're to mortify our members which are upon the earth. The idea of indwelling sin that is inside of us. Talks about uncleanness. Look at the next word, uncleanness, which refers to moral impurity. And the idea of uncleanness is doing anything by thought, word, or deed that dirties, pollutes, or stains our lives. In Romans, in Romans chapter 1, if you'll flip over there for a second with me. In Romans chapter 1, I want you to see this. Notice what verse number 24 says, and we don't have time to unpack it, but if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to read verses 18 all the way down uh, through verse 33. Uh, or ver verse 32, I'm sorry, all the way down to the end of the, uh, of the chapter there in Romans chapter 1. But notice what verse 24 says. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. 
The Apostle Paul then says, gives the word lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is essentially living by the senses. You know, it's that old saying. So whenever you see the word lasciviousness, just remember that old saying, if it feels good, oh, you guys aren't that dumb. If it feels good, you guys know the saying. See, that's lasciviousness. It's, a, it's, it's something that is a derivative of our senses. The idea is unrestrained evil through our thoughts and behaviors. In fact, it, 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 has, its, it has its meaning in, this, in the words filthiness, indecency, and shamelessness. In fact, lasciviousness is sinning so much that a person no longer cares what people say or think about them. You say, well, I don't care what people think or say anyway. Well, the problem with the lasciviousness is not only does a person not care what people say or think, they don't care what God. Here's the problem. They don't care what God thinks or says. They're the person who says, my way is best, my way is right, I will live according to the gospel of me, myself, and I. That's where lasciviousness starts to take roots. The Apostle Paul said in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he said in verse number 17 and following, he said, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now notice what verse 19, because it's going to come right back. In verse 19 says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all what? Okay, what was on the list before lasciviousness in Galatians chapter 5? Uncleanness. They're connected, folks. One leads to the other, time and time again. Paul says, to work all uncleanness with greediness, lasciviousness. Number five on his list is the word that I actually didn't mean to reference earlier when I made the comment about the NFL season starting soon. And that's the word idolatry. And the word idolatry is the worship of idols. The idea of anything that is more important than God. You know, Warren Wearsby once said this, Bible commentator and expositor, he said, we are to worship God, love people, and use things. But too often, we use people, love self, and leave God out of the picture completely. Think about it. He said, too often, he says, although we're supposed to worship God, love people, and use the things that God has blessed us with, he says, too often, he says, we use people, love ourselves, and leave God completely out of the picture. That's a problem. That's why we have people that walk according to the flesh in this idea with idolatry. The next one, witchcraft. You say, well, I don't have a problem with witchcraft. Well, the witchcraft, the idea is the idea of sorcery. In fact, the Greek word there is the word, are you ready for it? Pharmakeia which comes where we get our idea of what? Pharmacies, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> the Bible has something to say about that. It says stay away from witchcraft. It's this idea of astrology, palm reading, seances, spiritualists, fortune tellers. It, the idea, guys, is this. 
It's the person who seeks to control their own fate. You remember a story? Uh, in fact, guys, throw up the passage from 1 Chronicles chapter 10. The story of Saul. Notice what the Bible says, and I'll tell you. He says, So Saul died for his transgression which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David the son of Jesse. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 28, you'll find the story of King Saul, who at that time went and sought uh, advice from the woman, or what is commonly referred to as the witch of Endor. See, Saul says, he throws up a, he sees the Philistine armies coming. By the way, God has already departed from Saul. Samuel is dead, and he starts getting nervous. Here come the, the, uh, the Philistines, and he's shaking in his boots, and he throws up a, a, a veiled prayer to God, and he doesn't hear God answer the prayer. So he says, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? So he runs down to this witch or this woman of Endor and says, hey, I want you to bring up the spirit that I keep on hearing, bring this up. And so she brings up Samuel, the prophet, and Samuel says, why have you disquieted me? And Samuel reveals some things to him. Well, because Saul did this, he lost his life. He lost his life. It's pretty important, guys. The next word is hatred. To dislike or to be filled with hostility, animosity, or bitterness. This also refers to a hatred that is held for long periods of time. A deep-seated hatred towards any, one, anything. I believe that we have people who come in and out of the church, whether it be Battlefield Baptist Church, whether it be Broad Run Baptist Church, whether it be Warrington Baptist Church, Haymarket Baptist Church, whether it be the Methodist Church. Say, what about the Methodists? Yeah, I believe their church too. I believe we have people that come in and out of God's house every week that sit in the pews that have long, deep-seated hatred for people because they're unwilling to forgive. And yet we're the ones that bank on forgiveness the most. We bank on the forgiveness of God the most. <laughs> we go around touting the fact that, oh, I'm saved, I'm headed for heaven, God's forgiven me, praise the Lord, and then we live like the world, and we never offer forgiveness. It's kind of hypocritical, guys. We have to be men and women who get rid of hatred. we got to get rid of it. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 12, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, the Bible says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? How can we hate somebody we've seen or or have discord with somebody we've seen and then turn around with the same breath and say, but we love God. Those, these, these things are contrary one to the other. The next on the list is variance. The idea of strife, discord, contention, struggling, fighting and quarreling. The idea is fighting against someone or something in order to get something, whether it be a position, property or promotion. The idea of this sin is doing or saying whatever it takes in order to get what you want. Ever done that? I'm going to do whatever it takes. 
Here, let me, let me make you feel better. I've done that. I've done that. Do or say whatever it takes. I gave the example. There have been times that I've washed the dishes at the house. Oh, because I wanted payment for washing the dishes. There have been times that I've helped out vacuuming. In fact, I've told many people my wife's love language is me vacuuming the carpet. She sees me vacuuming, that's great. But we all have done that in some shape or form where we do and say things in order to get what our flesh desires. Oh, we must be careful of variance. Variance also has the idea of someone being a complainer. He says the word emulation, the word emulation is that competition. It's related to jealousy, wanting or desiring to have some, what someone else has. You remember what Joseph's brothers, you remember the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37? Notice what the Bible says in verse 4. It says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You see, all of Joseph's brothers, all they wanted was to be numero uno in dad's eyes. And when they saw Joseph paraded out with this coat of many colors and, and on and on, and they saw that his father Jacob loved him more than all, they immediately were filled with hatred. You know, that just doesn't happen in the Bible. That happens in our lives, too. The oldest son, the youngest son, middle child syndrome. I don't even know where I'm at. I was number four boy out of five. I don't even know how to feel about that. I would say I was angry as a little boy because I got to wear all my brother's hand-me-downs. And my mom was a, a thrifty woman. She put patches here, there, had patches on the backside everywhere. And so they could have nicknamed me Patches as a kid. My oldest brother always got the new clothes because he was the first one to get to size 12, 14, 16, and on and on. By the time I got there, man, them things was worn out. Listen, it happens in all our families. What about the older brother in the story of the prodigal son? We won't go there, but you remember the story? The prodigal son comes back, the father runs to him, kisses him on the neck, gives him the ring, puts the robe and the, and the sandals on his feet, throws, kills the fatted calf, throws a party, and the older brother, he's over there fuming. He's mad. He's like, didn't I stay around and do this and do that and do all these things, and you've never killed a fatted calf for me. You've never thrown a party for me. You've never done this. Oh, he was so concerned about his brother instead of concerned about himself. Isn't that what we do? I referred to it earlier. We get concerned about somebody else's sin. Oh, I thank God I'm not like that guy. Oh, I thank God, I thank God I'm not like her. Man, we need to be more concerned about our own lives than be worrying about somebody else's sin. The word wrath shows up. Wrath is a violent or explosive temper or anger. It actually, the idea of wrath actually is coupled with this idea of getting even. Anybody here ever sought to get even with somebody? You know, they actually used to have a t-shirt that they made in a bumper sticker. I don't get mad, I get... We promoted it. This country put it on their bumpers. We wore t-shirts. T-shirts like I'm with stupid, you know? Got the finger, I'm with dumb dumb. I don't get mad, I get even. What are these thoughts? 
They're unbiblical. They're worldly thoughts. They're thoughts according to the flesh. Paul says wrath. He says strife, conflict, struggles, dissension. This idea of a cliquish spirit, self-seeking spirit that divides. But the Apostle Paul told that church at Philippi in Philippians 2 verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. The Bible also says in Proverbs 20 verse 3, it is an honor for a man to cease from, stri from strife. Guys, it's okay. You know, you don't have to be the coward of the county as Kenny Rogers sang about. It's okay once in a while to quit arguing. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm going to walk in the Spirit. You, my friend, are walking according to the flesh, and I wish you wouldn't, but I'm going to walk in the Spirit, so I'm going to turn the other cheek. Oh, what a difference that might make in somebody's life. This idea of strife. Seditions. To stand against others. To rebel or to have division. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, the Bible tells us, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Another reference to King Saul. Heresies, rejecting the fundamental beliefs of God, Christ, the scriptures, and the church. The idea is essentially holding on to some teaching other than the truth that's found in God's word. Here's one that I really want you to take note of, and that's the word envyings. Envyings, this word goes beyond jealousy. You see, because when somebody is struggling with this idea of envy or envyings, it's a spirit that involves holding grudges. Anybody ever hold a grudge for even just a moment? Uh, it's a spirit that involves having what the other person has and resenting that person for actually having it. Not only do you resent the person for having what they have, you resent that person because they have it. Wow. It also is this. This is the person who wants whatever the thing is that that person has and does whatever it takes to immediately get it removed. I'm so mad that you have been blessed, okay? So I'm going to do whatever I can so that it's removed from you, and I'm going to do whatever I can to make it happen now. And then the last part of this envyings is, I hope you suffer. Guys, that's wicked. That's wicked. That, that is not something that the child of God should be involved with. And yet Paul was speaking to the church about it. He's like, guys, this is a problem. Don't do these things. This is not right. And then we don't really have to uh, describe, at least I hope not, the idea of murders. Taking someone's life physically from them. Or drunkenness. The word drunkenness is this idea of allowing the mind to be influenced by alcohol, drugs, or by anything else so as to loosen one's moral standards for bodily pleasure. And then the last thing Paul says is revelings. Revelings, revelings is the idea of indulgence. Do you ever indulge, splurge, uh, carousing about, uncontrolled behavior, feeding the lust of the flesh? That's what revelings is. It's like, gimme, 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 gimme. I want all that I can have. And so as we can see from this list, it's horrific. The one thing I want you to understand is the flesh can manifest and manufacture only one thing. Can anybody... Guess what the one thing is that the flesh can manifest? Sin. See, within the flesh, there's nothing good. There's one thing the flesh manifests, and it is sin. 
Although many have tried, the flesh cannot and will not ever produce the righteousness of God. And I know this is a tough pill to swallow. I knew, that's why I sandwiched this in the middle. Because this list is ridiculously tough to look at and see. These are just the getting in points of the manifest or the revealing of the flesh, the works of the flesh. So how do we live a spirit-controlled life? Look at verse 22 and following. And I'll close the message today because we'll get into this a little bit more next week. But verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, Paul says, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so how can we live a Spirit-controlled life? What is something that we need to start thinking about as we prepare ourselves to look at the standard for living in the spirit-controlled life, our, our, our strength, where do we get that to be able to do so, and the satisfaction from it? As we prepare our hearts next week for that portion, we got to ask ourselves, how do we live a spirit-controlled life? How do I begin to actually take some of the things we've looked at and put them into practice? Notice what verse 24 says. Verse 24 simply says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The idea is that the old nature, our flesh, must be crucified. Christ not only died for us, but when we are born again spiritually, here's the, here's the idea. And some of you have followed the Lord and Believer's Baptism here in a second. He not only died for us, but when we trust Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, we die to self. We die to sin. We put to death the old sinful nature and we desire, there's a desire to walk and live in the Spirit. Simply put, our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our churches, our country, and this world would be so much better. It would be so much better if we would just make the decision to quit feeding our flesh. It's a struggle. It's challenging. Challenging for me, challenging for you, but I believe we can do it. In Romans verse thir uh, chapter 13, verses 12 and following, the Bible says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and in drunkenness, not in chambering and in wantonness, not in strife and in envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what Paul says. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How are we going to know that our lives are being controlled by the Spirit? We're going to know. Your wife will know if your life's being controlled by the Spirit. Wives... Your husband's going to know if your life is being controlled by the Spirit. You want to know why I can say that? Throw up John 3.30 again, please. John chapter 3, verse 30. What did, what did John the Baptist say? He said, he must increase. And I must decrease. When your family sees that you have decreased and Christ has increased they're going to start to see you live in a spirit-controlled life. If you're still increasing, if you're still doing things the same old way, 
then I'm going to suggest that you're probably walking according to the lust of the flesh. I've been there, done that. Could probably write a small book on it. But if we allow Christ to increase in our life and we make a choice to decrease self, take self off of the throne, then we'll start to live a spirit-controlled life. 